Hello everyone and welcome to Encrypted. We are here in Area 271, Dubai, United Arab Emirates. And I am here with my co-host Faisal. Hi guys. And also we have a very special guest here, Faris Khandor. Say hello. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, could you quickly introduce yourself? Hey, yeah, so I'm um, I'm partner at a venture firm called Wanda Capital. Uh, in reality, we're actually much more than a venture firm, but that's that's the title I stick to because it's easiest for people to kind of understand. What what we do at Wanda Capital is effectively invest in the Middle East and North Africa and technology companies, emerging technology companies, early stage investments, so Series A, $5 million checks. Uh, <clears throat> we've been investing since 2015 out of our current fund, uh, but our predecessor fund has been active since 2010. Uh, we are in the process of raising our, our next fund uh, that should be a bit bigger, and we're going to broaden our geographic scope to include uh, a lot more significantly Turkey. We've already done a little bit there, but we're going to include that as a, as a core geography of ours, as well as Africa. So we've already done two deals there, but we're going to continue to press on. We might look at Pakistan as well, but for now, um, let's stick to, to the markets I just mentioned, and MENA will always be at our core largely driven by uh, the digitization of the Saudi market and the Saudi youth driving that, as well as uh, the mass population of Egypt, and uh, more importantly, the UAE being the hub to service all of these markets uh, very effectively. So that's why we're based in Dubai. And we do provide other sorts of offerings, including a media offering. So there's Wonga.com. It's kind of a uh, a blog of sorts, similar to TechCrunch, but more focused on the Middle East. We do our mentorship events. We have a, a mix and mentor. It is our flagship event, and we host that in several Arab cities, including Dubai, Riyadh, Jeddah, Amman, Beirut, Cairo, and and, and we also do some some advisory services for corporates. So I'm I'm a partner there, and and what that means is we lead deals and, and investments in in businesses that are of interest to us. Great to hear. Before we get into the the news of, of the week, um, could you quickly share with us the, the deals in the sure. blockchain space? Sure. So we've actually done two interesting deals in the blockchain space. The, the, the newer one is BitPesa. Um, if you know BitPesa, it's a business that operates in Africa today. They've got a very interesting proposition that uh, we've long sort of been looking for a pipeline in that space. So the bottom line of what they do is, uh, is as follows, is they allow for liquidity management within a business, uh, different branches of a business. What that means is effectively they allow a business to remit money from various branches they have around the world to other branches without necessarily going through traditional routes like SWIFT or denominating that remit in USD, which as we know, USD is a global hegemon, especially since the petrodollar. That's what gave prominence to the US as a superpower today, is largely the USD and the Fed. So what BitPesa, Elizabeth and her team are doing effectively is disrupting that. They've created the ability to uh, match pairs of, of currencies in certain markets in Africa without the need for them to go through USD. A large portion of it does go through BTC. They also offer crypto uh, trading for for retail and various other kind of back-end liquidity management 
for uh, certain businesses and, and businesses that want to consolidate their, uh, their treasuries, basically. So that's, that's a very exciting one for us. We just got in recently. We're getting to learn that business. It's, it's a very exciting business model. We've always been looking for a business that disrupts SWIFT and the hegemony of the USD. So that kind of fell on our laps, and she's a very solid founder and has uh, trading pairs that are and liquidity uh, between currencies that you would never imagine had liquidity. And obviously, it's much more real time than, than you would go through SWIFT. And uh, our second business, um, and the one I sit on the board of, is BitOasis. BitOasis is the, the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the MENA region, primarily operating in the UAE, again, because of the enabling environment here, but also because uh, that's where you, know, you can find the most qualified talent. And we do service the wider GCC market out of here. Um, we've got all sorts of different trading pairs, and most of our product is a retail product. We haven't delved too much into the B2B aspect there. Uh, that's a very exciting business that I sit on the board of, obviously skyrocketing in terms of growth. Very solid team that's also run by a female. Her name is Ola, and she's got a very solid team in place as well to help her scale that to the next level. Um, if I can jump in here, sure. uh, Faris, uh, I mean, from your perspective in these two companies in this region, right? Um, what are your thoughts on the regulatory aspect? Sure. Um, so that's a very interesting question, and, and we can get into this and, and go on and on to the philosophical nth degree. But we are very strong believers, both as a firm, uh, as well as our underlying companies, and the need to be operated, uh, to, uh, they need to operate in a very safe and um, engaging way with the regulators. So, the need to, to, the need for you to roll out new products that comply with local regulations that are put in place to protect consumers, at least in theory, that's what the regulator is meant to be doing, and, and they do that very effectively. Sometimes it's overkill, sometimes it's not, but we are very strong believers in, in consumer protection at the end of the day, especially when it comes to new technology. New technology has always suffered, uh, well, I don't want to say suffered, but new technology has always been adopted at the onset by fringe economies. Uh, mm -hmm. So just to give an example, digital advertising, the first industry to adopt or actually even create digital advertising is the porn industry of all industries. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for, and it's the same for uh, digital music. So it was all pirated at first, and there was the whole uh, Napster story. So it's the same for crypto. Is, is the early adopters of crypto were the Silk Road types of operators. So if, if anyone remembers Silk Road, mm -hmm. it was the largest kind of deep web. Uh, uh, is it deep web or is it dark web? Dark, dark. I think it's the dark web. Sorry, <laughs> so dark web. the dark web. It operated on the dark web uh, through uh, uh, Tor, obviously, and uh, it allowed people to buy and sell drugs or anything they want. And the only means to settle was crypto, uh, specifically Bitcoin, and that's what created uh, and arguably created the first boom of crypto, quote unquote, in 2005. Before we saw that crash, so. The early adopters of, of any new technology are fringe industries, but our role at BitOasis is to help bridge traditional industries to, um, to this new technology without necessarily acting as 
too much of an anarchist in the sense of a lot of the core developers you might find in Bitcoin or even Bitcoin Cash are a bit more of anarchists and want to operate in, a, in, a, in an environment that allows them to do so without the approval of the regulator or without the buy-in. It's actually even considered to some contrarian to be pushing the agenda of a certain cryptocurrency while trying to get regulated. Uh, but for us, it's different, actually. For us, you need the regulatory kind of buy-in in order to operate, especially when you deal with what is known in the exchange world as the on-ramp, off-ramp. So the on-ramp being from fiat to crypto and the off-ramp being from crypto to fiat. That's where the global bottleneck exists in exchanges today. Mm-hmm. Crypto to crypto is very simple. So Poloniex, Bitrex, up to a certain extent... I think Poloniex still is a is a crypto to crypto. Maybe they denominate in Tether, but that's a different story. But the real bigger one, the real big ones like Bitfinex, uh, Coinbase, obviously Kraken, uh, throwing Bit Oasis in there as well. <laughs> yeah, these are on ramp off ramp exchanges. And when the moment you deal with fiat is the moment you need to deal with central bank yeah. regulations for the safety of consumers. Okay, so, great. Yeah. This actually goes in well with our first um, story, sure. um, which is a Japanese police to fund crypto um, criminal tracking tool. Sure. So yeah. this is from Coindesk.com, yeah. and you basically mentioned that in you know the Silk Road, which um, in around what 2012, 2013 was gaining a lot of popularity. Sure. And now what we're having, we're seeing in Japan, you know, a federal department from the government sure. is actually investing into, yeah. you know, a startup to try and track criminals, you know, trying to use cryptocurrency for right. for fraudulent reasons. Yeah, and so like here it says that they put a budget of 35 million yen. Do you foresee this happening? Yeah. Like in, in, in the UAE maybe or something? where Look, it's a, it's a very reassuring sign. So what they try and do it for especially developed economies. So developed economies like the US, you know, the Fed, the, the Bank of England to a certain extent, the Bank of Japan. These are developed economies that are built on the concept of fractional reserve banking, on the fact that their currencies are extremely powerful. They have very powerful industries. They offer very powerful services. So the fiat currencies we're talking about, the yen, the USD, the euro, the, the sterling pound have benefited from a world of fractional reserve banking and ability to print money, I mean, more or less on demand, right? So that's good. So to these guys, they were actually the most likely, and that, that's a good maybe segue to the next point we'll talk about, which is emerging markets. But to the developed guys, these are the last people you expect to adopt a regulatory environment because they're the most who benefit from the traditional infrastructure of fiat. So for, for, for someone like the, you know, for, for the Japanese to come out and say, we've tried to fight this. I mean, they're not saying that explicitly, but uh, because Kraken, for example, you know, Japanese are, 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 are at the forefront of this. Kraken were, got their license to operate as an exchange from Japan. They were the, the Japanese have been of the emerging, of the developed markets, some of the most um, forward thinking, let's say. But it is still um, a developed market, so they approach it with the caution of a developed market. But to, to think of Japan as doing that is basically a sign of them saying, look, we can't resist this anymore, and we uh, step one of this is at least to regulate what we have. So it's the same discussion as you have, let's say, with marijuana in the US, where it started out as complete ban, nothing, zero, it's against the law entirely, but today the discussion is like, well, 
we can't because everyone, you know, wants to, you know, there's a lot of demand for it. So maybe the next best thing is to regulate it. Right. The moment you hear that is the moment they've succumbed to the pressure of the efficiency of user demand for it. So that's a very reassuring sign, especially from a developed market. It would be nice to see that in the U.S., but then again, the U.S. is 50 states. Yeah, um, and, so uh, and everyone is thinking... Each state has its own yeah, jurisdiction. Exactly. In New York, if you want to get the license, it's like you know a few yeah. million dollars, so good luck getting the, the, the crypto license that Coinbase has, but I'm not sure who else has the same license, maybe Kraken. But and there are, there are labels as well in the states. There are these eight or nine states that are labeled crypto-friendly, Wyoming and Vermont being two of them, because they do actually live projects and so on. Sure. To blockchain. But otherwise, yeah. it all depends on the state jurisdiction Absolutely. and the flows and yeah. applies there. What, what I really like about this story is that um, it's a public-private partnership to sure. try and reduce crypto fraud. Yeah. And I saw a really interesting um, statistic when I was sort of researching this piece. And this was actually from um, a special agent from the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration. She said that Criminals were behind roughly 90% um, of all Bitcoin transactions five years ago. And now they've declined to around sort of 10%. And then she said... Of, the, of which crypto specifically? Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah, and then she said to Bloomberg in the interview, she actually... Well, the blockchain actually gives us a lot of tools to be able to identify sure. people. And that she actually wishes that criminals use Bitcoin yeah. more, more and more so that they're able to, to find them. Well, so well I, they finally found the... the they finally were able to trace the Mt. Gox hacker, yeah. right? That, that, that kind of happened. I mean, Bitcoin isn't anonymous, right? You just, yeah. especially, again, on-ramp, off-ramp. The moment you go to a yeah. cryptocurrency exchange and want to trade, that wallet address that the cryptocurrency exchange gives you is tied to your name somewhere. Yes. Exactly. So technically speaking, yeah. then the, these cryptocurrencies are a little bit pseudonymous. Exactly. So basically, right. you get an... A, a mathematical string or whatever, sure. which is your address. Absolutely. But again, like you said, the moment you tie yourself to an exchange, they yeah. do all sorts of KYC on yeah. you. So yeah. they're going to have full details on you. At least your name. At least. <laughs> no, that, that's if an exchange is very easy yeah, exactly. on you. <laughs> so unless but, you want to hold yeah. crypto only or you know, somehow find a way to transfer your coins to fiat without going through an exchange, then, you know, especially when you're dealing with large amounts, it's, it's just Good not luck. And then there's all sorts of Bitcoin mixers, right? There's big Bitcoin mixing services out there that... that What's I mean, a Bitcoin mixing service? Okay, so, so without getting too technical, you know, the way Bitcoin works, or essentially another blockchain works, is you have your wallet ID, and, and your wallet ID is, is on, you know, on an updated ledger, has a certain amount of coins in it, and I want to transfer it to someone else's ID, wallet address and they give me their wallet address and let's say they have half a bitcoin i transfer my one bitcoin to their wallet the next block that gets updated on the blockchain says that my coins are zero and, and that person's coins are one but within that block you can see that my wallet transferred coins to another person's wallet there's a direct correlation between the two what bitcoin what mixing what mixers do is you plug in, I mean, it is a centralized service at the end. Bitcoin mixing is centralized because you have to go through a service that does that. But how it works is you, you send the coins to them. They, they scatter it around into hundreds and hundreds of transactions and hundreds of thousands of transactions, microtransactions, to hundreds of thousands of wallets. And that goes to, to a next set of hundreds of thousands of wallets. And it just keeps going on and on and on. It literally mixes it up 
reconsolidates it on another centralized wallet and then sends it to that person. So tracking it effectively becomes impossible. Mm. But as we saw with Mount Gox, impossible doesn't mean... Uh, 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 sorry, not impossible. Virtually impossible. Virtually impossible doesn't mean practically or, or in, in, liter in the literal sense impossible because they were able to, to finally find out who has it now. Whether they're yeah. able to seize them is a different story, but... There's a really cool inf infographic. I will put it in the show notes. It literally, yeah. on one side, it shows um, all the coins are in Mt. Gox, and sure. then it basically draws lines out yeah. onto the right-hand side, and yeah. then you just toggle your mouse over it, and it says which exchange. Sure. If it doesn't know which address it is, it just says the address. But it basically says this is where all the Mt. Gox yeah. coins end up. Mm -hmm. um, so it's I pretty mean, it's cool. A, it's the, the thing is, everything we're discussing is very controversial philosophically, because... Bitcoin to maximalists have, you know, the term Bitcoin maximalist is, is someone who uh, is someone who believes in the absolute value of Bitcoin and Bitcoin only versus any other altcoin. So they believe that... What, what's an altcoin? An altcoin is any coin... Well, it used to refer to any coin other than Bitcoin. Other than Bitcoin yeah. So even that debate is, is contentious. But some people now refer to altcoins as non-Ether, Ethereum, or Bitcoin. So an altcoin could be neither of the two, but it depends. But let, let's assume that an altcoin is a non-Bitcoin, because the Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the godfather of coins. Uh, if, if you are a believer, if you are a believer in Bitcoin and only Bitcoin, and that all other coins and altcoins have no purpose and are essentially scams, and that you can solve the same problems that certain you know altcoins solve on the bitcoin mainnet either through lightning or sidechains or even on chain and that's a different story altogether but th these people believe that all of these problems can be solved using bitcoin and are therefore maximalists mm -hmm. so they say we only believe in bitcoin and nothing else everything else is crap toss it out um so so to these people uh, a lot of them are against the fact that you can or you do have certain services that allow you to track coins. These people are maximalists and they believe in the absolute uh, decentralization of Bitcoin and an absolute freedom that it gives you. So That's why Monero is there. That's why sure, there's a lot, of Zcash, a lot of privacy extent. coins. Yeah, there, there are a lot of privacy coins and, um, and the extent to which they're private is even up for debate. But... You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, we live in a world where we pay in fiat. So currently, it's not currently. <laughs> yes, but you cannot you cannot jump from you know from nothing from from fiat to absolute Bitcoin without. I mean, that's the the problem with maximalism is it believes in the, in, in that essentially. It's like no, don't work with regulators. Regulators are the very people we don't want involved. They're the very people who cause these crashes. Mm -hmm. So okay, it's like fair. You know, uh, philosophically, maybe I agree with you. But practically. practically, we need the path to get us to the point where the world is denominated in Bitcoin or any other coin. Exactly. And I think in this story, I'm really interested in technically how they're going to do it. Because the way it sounds is that they're going to have to tie up with all the exchanges. Because there is no other way to find exactly who you are based on your address only, on yeah. public address. So yeah. essentially, they're going to have to tie with all these exchanges. Now the question comes in, who out of these exchanges will be willing sure. to tie up with that kind of product because they might essentially lose some of their customers. You know, some of their customers might be like, uh, sure. Farah said that maximalists saying that 
I only trust you because I know that you will not be dealing or not sure. exposing my information. But now you're exposing my information to a law firm or a safety and justice firm. So why would I want to transact with you? you now, you that, that becomes yeah. a big challenge for them as well. How are sure. they going to do it technically? I think, I mean, the technical aspect is beyond me, to be honest. I'm not sure how it's going to be able to happen technically, but let me give you an example of BitOasis. We are in the process of being, uh, of going through the licensing process with ADGM, okay. which is an, an, an Abu Dhabi free zone, uh, uh, effectively, that is working closely with the regulators, the central bank of Dewey, to allow for specific licensing categories. So they put out a licensing framework that's very thorough, as far as we know, we're the only ones going through the process of applying for that license. It's very thorough about requirements. It's almost like IPOing a company almost. The amount of, of uh, scrutiny that they go through, and rightfully so, is, is very thorough. So part of uh, the licensing requirement is to plug in a service that allows you to do that. Yeah. From their perspective, it's like this. Look, you guys want to onboard users. We have the infrastructure and the framework to allow us to do KYC and trace funds and origin of funds on fiat because you have a bank account. And if you have a million dollars, your bank is going to know where that came from. You know, anything above $10,000, you have to declare the, the origins of funds for. That's how it works globally. But they went, the United Gem came and said, we don't know that for crypto. What if someone opened an account on BitOasis and deposited 100 Bitcoin? Yeah, I always have that question. Yeah, yeah. So, that, so that's, that's part a really of the interesting question. That, that's, exactly, that's, that's exactly what ADGM So are right? they going to ask you how are you going to solve that problem? Yes. Those services that in Japan that you just mentioned are, in Bitwiz is working with one of those or looking to work with one of those to allow people to, to allow BitOasis to track the origin of funds if these are not fiat denominated, if they're crypto denominated. Again, philosophical debate. A lot of people come and say, this is my freedom, it's my... You know, it's my money, it has no, nothing to do with you. But again, practically speaking, we need to work with and not against uh, the legacy infrastructure that exists, that is the regulator, in order to get us to the point where we are comfortable. And if that means tracing funds in crypto, then we trace funds in crypto. <laughs> this is the origin of funds. Uh, this is really turning out interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested into going more or deeper into that, you know, uh, I mean, being a VC and investing in sure. a centralized exchange. Yes. <laughs> so now, a couple of episodes back, we covered a bit on decentralized yep. exchanges. Sure. So, I mean, where do you see the roadmap there? Sure. I mean, is Bitwaysis doing anything, if you can share on Right, that? okay. So that's a very good question, and that's a question that, um, that I speak to Rola very often about. That's whenever we're done talking about the nitty-gritty stuff about the banks and the, the regulators and who we're going to hire, we're in, when we sit back and relax, we're like, okay, so why are we doing all of this? You know, there's Kyber Network out there. They're a decentralized exchange, and they offer a massive, you know, very beneficial services. There's ZeroX. There's all, Zero kinds, X, of, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of products out there, right, uh, that are popping up that, in theory, maybe the UX isn't that good. But for mm -hmm. now, they are crypto to crypto. So I think we have a bit of an arm's length. Mm -hmm. um, you will be surprised. Some people want, to some extent... People want centralization, especially new adopters. They want to know that there's a number they can call and tell them there's a problem with my, my transaction here. They, want, they don't know that they want centralization per se, but they want the comfort of knowing that there is an entity out there that exists that is liable for X, Y, and Z. So that's one. Two, 
Fiat, again, on-ramp, off-ramp. I keep going back to that. But there is no... Uh, there is, and it's not possible today to have a, de a decentralized exchange that offers on-ramp, off-ramp. Uh, off Unless you're dealing with you know, tethers or, or, or tokenized Waves are very close to it. Sure. I don't think that, they got... That would be nice. Value. I mean, I'm, I'm, at some point, yeah. I would love to see that. Anyways, talk about decentralization. Sure. We're, we're moving on to our next yeah. article, which is cryptocurrency startup Definity raises $102 sure. million dollars to build internet computer. Right. Um, the reason why we're putting this in is because we're in a, you know, bear market ICOs uh, are not raising any money. Therefore, right. finding it very hard to raise money. And then you have Definity, which has been um, a crypto startup, sure. Um, sort of in the past couple of years, and um, they've just raised you know 102 million dollars from leading venture capital yeah. capitalists in the US, um, right. such as Anderson Horowitz and other crypto funds as sure. well. And so this is, you know, it's really interesting seeing that investments are still happening in a bear market. Right. The reality of the matter is the amount or the, the dollar value or the amount or the price of any currency today or any token today is absolutely not, and I don't think has ever been, a reflection, at least in the short term, of the infrastructure and the protocol layer development and the development going on in terms of product and use case, they're totally decoupled. The price has nothing to do with how much development a specific token or a currency or a project has going through. The price, which, which by definition means almost that the price run-up that happened last year was, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe driven just by a lot of speculation and just hype and people wanting to get in, had nothing to do with how developed the product is. Whereas a publicly listed company, for example, comes out with quarterly results, and if they miss their results, that's why the stock goes down. Um, whereas in this case, products are, you know, we're closer than ever to hit maybe proof of stake with Ethereum. We've, you know, Bitcoin have just launched the Lightning Network, which allows ultra-fast payments um, and, and doesn't allow for, you know, super heavy mining, uh, uh, computationally mining for you to run your own Lightning Network node and, and, and you can participate as a Lightning Network node without, you know, offering much computation power and and the advantages of Lightning and the use case of Lightning is, is yet to be seen, but yet the price is still down over a time when there was contention over block size in mm. August last year. We were, you know, the, the, there were, they didn't agree on whether or not to implement uh, 2x, which is doubling of the block size, after they had uh, uh, implemented SegWit. So, how is it that Bitcoin today has Lightning Network and Last year didn't even have SegWit, but the price last year is higher than today's price. So what all I'm trying to say is when you start talking to sophisticated investors like Anderson Horowitz, like Polychain, like anyone who understands that an investment is primarily in a team, yeah. and you talk to the Definity team and you buy into their vision, you are cushioned against, at least in theory, you were buying the risk of the short-term price, but the long-term price is, is what, what you're in for, right? So um, I'm a big believer in that, you know, if you have a solid team and if you have a good price, you will be able to raise money, be it equity or through a token sale, does not matter. If you, have, if you come to the table with an interesting proposition and an interesting team, just like any other venture, it doesn't have to be crypto, 
you will be able to raise money. Liquidity is not an issue if you know what you're doing and you know what you're building. And there's a record number of churn rate of qualified engineers from Silicon Valley to global crypto projects today. And that in and of itself is being decentralized. So Silicon Valley itself is becoming decentralized. Thailand is one place. Singapore is another. Korea is one. Obviously, China, uh, to a certain extent, even in, in, in the Middle East, there's, there's a few projects coming out. So the reality of the matter is projects will continue to be able to fundraise this, uh, especially when it comes to sophisticated investors who know what to look for in a good company. It's, I would almost rather make it more difficult to be able to fundraise, but raise from smart investors and only for good projects to be able to raise than for everyone to be able to raise left, right, and center because, you know, the, the, risk, the, 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 the risk of failure is much higher when everyone's able to fundraise yeah. than when people actually go through a frugal experience of doing their proper due diligence on a business, understanding what they have on the table. And in this case, Definity has a great you know, proposal on the table. So, Do you, you want to quickly talk about that? About Definity, yes. Um, so I, it's, it's a bit technical for me, but effectively they're creating decentralized cloud services. Yeah. Much like Filecoin is decentralized storage service, much like uh, Ethereum is a decentralized uh, smart contract platform, the low-hanging use case that Definity are going after with the technology that they came out with, and they haven't launched their, their main net yet, I think, to the public. I, I don't think that's going to happen before you know beginning of next year but um, the, the, in theory that that ultra fast settlement while not uh, compromising on security or decentralization allows them to create a product that is effectively decentralized cloud cloud computing and yeah and it looks like they are trying to compete against Amazon web services yeah and so, I think one stat that they had on their website was that, if you use ours, um, because of decentralization, because of the benefits sure. of blockchain, will basically reduce costs by 90% as sure. compared to sort of Amazon Web Services. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, it's not the first time we see your project with bold, bold claims, but... Sure. No, <laughs> but, fair. Yeah. And, and I think, look, the, the operative is, is decentralized. Yeah. Not to keep going back to that, but we can talk for... So the, the way I see it is any cryptocurrency project that is not decentralized is a glorified and secure database. It's it's not a disrupt it's not a, it's not disruptive. It is a database that is more secure. That's the difference between decentralized whereas decentralization is like mind blowing like the yeah. the value of decentralized the the elephant in the room isn't blockchain. It's decentralized blockchains. That's that's the key yeah. I think. Yeah. Sure. I mean like Ahmed said I mean a lot of um, projects have bold claims, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it turns out, like you say, like you mentioned, like you're investing in a team. Sure. So how much would that team be able? One project that I really, uh, I mean, uh, fancy their technical aspect and their claim, and and whatever product they pushed is Nano. Yeah. For example, which used to be called Rayblox, they have an amazing technology, but sure. for some reason, they're they're kind of you know, their team is not being publishing their work sure. consistently. Yeah. So that also affects whatever product is being done. And the most the famous time. one is Tezos, right? Tezos, yeah. they, they, what, they raised $250 million in their token sale. 2016, and, and, yeah. And, and what they had on the table was very promising, but the team 
Like sometimes too much money is actually, <laughs> it's, it's actually honestly much more harmful because there's a sense of efficiency in building things frugally. Mm. If you throw money at things, doesn't mean you're solving them more efficiently. Actually, it could be the opposite. So who knows? I mean, yeah, teams, yeah. teams are behind everything. At the so this, this actually goes to, to our third article, which is from investing in, well, investinblockchain.com. And it says, it was a research piece by them, which says cryptocurrencies in the top 100 with working products that are in use. And essentially, the, when they researched it, they said, okay, out of all the 100 top cryptocurrencies, we see that yeah. 36 out of the top 100 cur- cryptocurrencies have working products. Sure. Right? Um, I think that's, that's actually not a... Actually, no way. If we, if we were to go back to the sort of 90% of startups fail. Yeah. Um, at least maybe 90% of startups might have working products, right? Sure, yeah. Um, but it's really interesting. I mean, the criteria that they have here is that even if you have launched a mainnet, they didn't include it. It's yeah. because they want sort of products that have actually had some sure. um, users like Bitcoin sure. or like yeah. Litecoin. The point on that, I think that's very important to note, is at this point in the ecosystem, at least that's my opinion to a certain extent, and it's... it's I haven't delved into it too much, but we're at the stage of protocol development, the protocol development mm-hmm. layer. We have not hit neither technique. So the biggest problem technically today is the scaling problem still. So we, for most of these blockchains, so for Ethereum, it's the case. They haven't yet migrated to proof of stake. Uh, Bitcoin, maybe hopefully Lightning will solve it, but it hasn't been rolled out in mass yet. But Scaling is the primary issue today. So the easiest example is on the Bitcoin main chain. Let's, let's solve the scaling issue and solve the protocol layer issues. Not just, you know, in general. Let's solve the, the cross-chain operability. So like Polkadot works on cross-chain operability. So if you execute one transaction on a certain blockchain, so let's say Ethereum, does it trigger a transaction on Bitcoin? Today you don't have that. So cross-chain is a protocol that needs to be developed. Uh, uh, decentralized computing is one, decentralized cloud service. So all sorts of anything at the protocol layer needs to be developed before we start talking about real, real world use cases. A perfect example of that is, had you built Nap- Napster in 1993, it would have failed because the bandwidth of the internet, the protocol, the, the uh, you know, just the throughput of a dial-up connection cannot sustain that. So yes, there are lots of you know projects in the top 100 you know tokens that are interesting in theory. I'm still a big believer. I'm a bit skeptical of, especially when it comes to to uh, uh, security tokens, but but also utility tokens to some extent. If it's not a protocol layer development, then to me it's like okay, you know maybe we can wait a bit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when 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 I was looking at the 36 um, different projects. I don't want to list them out here, but if I have to categorize them. So you have cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Litecoin. Sure. You have privacy coins like sure. Monero, Zcash. Yeah. You have exchange tokens like Binance, Hobby, um, KuShares. You have protocol tokens, which we, uh, yeah. which we just talked about. And then also enterprise products uh, like Ripple. And I think there was just one more. Um, I, and I don't it, think Ripple should even be on there, to be honest, because it's that's like that's, that's it, it's totally there. centralized. No, no, it, it's there. Yes. I know, I know, but it's in the yeah. top one hundred. No, no, I, I get it. And uh, top yeah. one, yeah, right. So, yeah, anyway, but I, I, I do, I, mean, I do agree with you. I mean, I don't centralized, right? <laughs> yeah, like, what, I they have like seven servers or something. And well, Neo has seven servers, but <laughs> there you go. So that shouldn't be on there either. <laughs> yeah. So what? How do you define a cryptocurrency? I guess that's. 
I think you know. I think it's worth doing could, an could episode we? once for you yeah. guys just to talk about the philosophy and talk about like the the cypherpunks and and the philosophy <laughs> yeah. of the all history, of that. Like yeah. why are why why are we here today, right? Like how yeah. did we get to the point where Bitcoin scaling is so contentious, for example? Yeah. What's the philosophy? Because people look, you know, you follow these people on Twitter, you follow Nick Zabo, you follow uh, Luke, who's, who's a core developer, you follow all these guys. These guys talk about Bitcoin like it's a religion. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, it has and they're willing to fight as if it's like their God-given right to, true, true. to that. So, I mean, what, what led to this? You know what I mean? So how did we get here? I don't know. That's, that's a discussion worth having, I think. So... That, that's why I'm, I'm not arguing with your point about projects being out there. I'm just saying, you know, what's your, what's your benchmark? All right, yeah. if, if it's just any project being out there and if it's a security token that represents shares, it's, it's serving its use case. My token represents shares in my company. So the, it's running. So right? this is why I actually like exchange tokens because yeah. they... Yeah, <laughs> they actually by work. definition they're by doing def- what they need right. to do. Yeah, and exactly. and and the ones like Bitcoin, Litecoin, sure. Monero, those are the ones yeah. that are actually, and I think they could be the current benchmarks that hopefully we um, at least could set now. I mean, Monero is getting its own its own criticism right now, and and you know Tether obviously you know you know the story with okay. Tether not being not Tether's being in the bad. list by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is we don't know. I mean, do you, it's a it's a good use, but does that we've only been in this with with you know most of these coins weren't there two years ago for me in venture my time frame is 10 years for liquidity i don't know how you do that <laughs> i don't so far i'm waiting i'm not used to that I'm yeah, yeah. so i mean in venture so we're not even talking about technology there we're talking about venture to build out the internet to where it is today so that the top 10 companies seven of the top 10 companies globally are fundamentally based on a protocol that is free, that is TCP IP, and, and for it to have been around for 40 years, Bitcoin or any other protocol that's being built and decentralized over the past two years, that's nothing. Like if you actually look at the time, that's what I'm saying, let's, let's not run and let's not talk about, you know, the way Blockstream wants to put like a, 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 a what are they, they put out a satellite with a Bitcoin node, like come on, like let's, like let's. They could have used that money elsewhere, you know, maybe. Or, yeah. well, they have a lot of money, I'm yeah. sure. But but all I'm saying is like let's let's not let's not chase projects right now. Let's chase regulatory environments. That's the wrong metric to look at. The thing you should look at is what frameworks are coming out to regulate. How many? Uh, you know how how is this technology adopting legitimacy among incumbents? As much as you want to be disruptive, you again have to be in bed with the incumbents. Uh, that's one metric. Another metric is to what extent are qualified developers churning away from uh, traditional apps and traditional businesses to dApps or decentralized businesses or crypto businesses. Those are the metrics we need to look at, not whether or not someone who ICO'd has a product today. You should look at the fundamental. I mean, yes, new fundamentals have to basically be built and I mean, found just, out. Yeah. Just, it's an ecosystem. It's yeah. not just about I raised a dollar and now I have to deliver a product. You have to get the developers on board. You have to get people... Be, go to any any developer today. Ask them, can you build a contract on Solidity? You know, maybe they can. It's really easy. Solidity is, is the language that executes an Ethereum smart contract. Can they build a, a contract on Solidity? Even though it's very easy, you or me, can, anyone who's not technical can build it. But can they? Do they know how to? Do they have training? Do they know how to build anything on, on, on Bitcoin even? Have they ever? So 
the reality of the matter is we still aren't at that level. I mean, we just need to let things take time, especially when we're trying to disrupt the global financial order. I mean, it's not <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess we are in a phase that we we are not super comfortable with from different perspectives. Yeah. I mean, there are some projects that exactly. that have great potential but are limited when it comes to regulatory. Some others are not getting the proper funding. Some sure. are not getting the proper consistency. Sure. But I think we all agree that this phase has to be there. 100% has to be there so that all these kind of, you know, fancy just by name yeah. kind of projects will flush away yeah. in due time. It's necessary. And then the only big ones, the actual real foundational ones, exactly. the one with real value, Protocol will survive value. through. Absolutely. And, and exactly during that point. time, yeah. and during that time, everyone would have learned. Exactly. Because the regulatory people would have understood the, te the technology more. Developers and technical people would have, you know, built more and more frameworks to understand how to implement it correctly and so on and then of course customers will be more and more aware of it i think we are in that phase like the flush is going to happen some someday yeah, exactly and but it just takes time because yeah, it's a really yeah. new technology I totally it also agree. depends on your time frame like what's so 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 what's the time frame you're looking at right like you know you know how they always say the best investment you can make is you know buying a s&p 500 uh tracker, an ETF that tracks the S&P 500, the biggest 500 companies listed in the US. Mm -hmm. and, and you go and say, okay, so when should I do that? It, the, the truth is, you know, if you're looking to sell next year, it really matters. But if you're there for 10, 20, 30 years, there is no right answer for it. There's never a bad time. If you are long enough any asset, it's always a good time to come in. You see yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. yes, Bitcoin now is 7,000. Oh, maybe it'll go down to 3,000. Maybe. You know, actually, you know what the best thing to do is buy at 7 and buy again at 3. And then if you're long enough over 10, 20 years, maybe it'll go up. Maybe, I mean, maybe this will be a failure, but depends on your time frame. And it's not just about price. It's actually about the deployment of these projects. So yeah. you need to be a bit patient. Some Agreed. of these projects are less than six months old. By the way, is this financial advice? <laughs> <laughs> it is, as a matter of fact. Never, never go all in in one transaction. Try to even yeah, out. Uh, even if it's up or down. Just, just. But I guess one point also to add, I mean, this could be really interesting because I don't think anyone does due diligence uh, as strong and as detailed as VCs. Yeah. So I think we could use also their model in order to kind of categorize projects sure. and how they are evolving and yeah. so on. So th this is why um, I don't want to be like root to VCs. I like you, Faris, <laughs> yeah. but I've spoke to a lot of startups. I'm also watching Silicon Valley now. Sure. And VCs can be a bit of a pain in the ass. They are, absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, um, they're trying to disrupt right? <laughs> so they're, they're like, can you be an impediment to like innovation? Um, I think we can be. I mean, look, to be honest, like, <laughs> so, point, so just, sorry yeah. to like, but the yeah. whole point about ICOs is to basically yeah. tell the VCs to not, we don't want you. Yeah. Right. I mean, so it's yeah, like, so how so can we find that sort of balance? Stay right? on your toes. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree 110% with that. I just because I'm a VC doesn't mean I believe in the longevity of the model. Let me just be mm. very clear about that. I think that the, the VC industry we see today will probably not exist. I mean, that's a whole different topic that we can talk about and cut me off wherever you want, but <laughs> I don't think VC as it is today will exist in 10 or 15 or 20 years. Okay, that's uh, awesome okay. too. We'll quote you on that. VC. We'll quote you on that. Maybe it's from ICOs, whatever yeah. it may be. The fact that there's three things about VC that are going to die. One, the fact that it's illiquid. Okay. Yeah. Two, 
the fact that you are not guaranteed, you're never guaranteed, but for the most part, VC doesn't outperform public markets for the most part. On a, on a median basis. On a mean basis, it is just because it's driven by the top 10 VCs. But if you pick your average VC, it will underperform the market. Okay. So why should I invest in something that takes 10 years to liquidate and doesn't perform better than markets? And three, the lack of info and lack of transparency. So post an investment, I will know about that deal. I don't know anything about the company. I might not even have the right as an investor in a VC fund to participate in that investment. So it's a black pool. Unless I'm going to be an Andreessen Horowitz or a Sequoia Capital where I've consistently returned, you know, 10, uh, sorry, uh, 100% or 80% or 60% IRR annualized returns. Why should I participate? Why should I invest in any, any, any VC that's on average performed worse than the market? Whereas I can go in and buy... You know, an Apple stock, for example, or Amazon, that's effectively returned VC-like returns while being public, while posting their strategy, while posting their finances, while having liquidity. So, in a very much shorter time frame as well. Much you can you can buy and sell the next day, and, and I'm taking management fees and I'm taking carry. So, we are looking for ways to disrupt what we do. There's different ways to do it. What we strive to do, and I, and let me just put it this way, and why I think. Why am I still a VC? Because I genuinely believe that the dollar I invest today as a VC, because of the, the infrastructure we've built, is worth more than a dollar that you would get from anyone else. Because a dollar is a dollar, it's commoditized, but my dollar comes with helping you open up new markets, helping you hire the right people at your business, uh, having a team of value creation, in fact, we call it the value creation team, people made up of business intelligence, marketing, headhunters, techies, and logistics and ops people who go into the businesses we invest in and help them out, effectively scale their business. And, and these, are, you know, these are very senior people that a startup might not be able to afford. So I'm able to come around and say, actually, yes, 90% of the value of an investment is the money because you need to pay salaries. But you know what? 5% of it is my network, and the other 5% is my ability to help you operationally. So $100 for me is different to $100 from an average yeah. Joe. So and that's I what think we we're seeing. Today. I think we're seeing the same thing with ICO investing as well. Exactly. So a lot of, I mean, like previous, just eight months ago, a lot of ICOs were sort of public ICOs. Sure, exactly. You know, you see the time, the ticker on the website, sure. but now most ICOs just, just want private money and yeah. they would rather go to the Someone who the can fund. add value. Who can add value, right? Yeah. And it's, it's been a common question amongst yeah. all the top projects. Okay, and if you're going to give me money, how could you help me? Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's become, I, I see there's definitely, it's become yeah. reminiscent of the VC sure. industry. I'm not, I'm not in any way protecting the or defending VC in, in, as, a, as a model, because I still think it will be disrupted, but I still think that the outcome will be a hybrid between public money um, with the, that comes with the transparency, liquidity, etc., with uh, uh, maybe a form of value add that can be had. I don't know what's that, you know, if I knew what that would be looking like, I'll build it, but uh, um, I don't know what that's going to look like. I think the outcome is going to be one where it's it's not... Both, both. It's, it's, it's not going to be one or the other extreme, ultimately. So, um, Faris, so you're a VC guy. Um, you've invested into blockchain companies. I'm sure there could be some ICOs listening to this. Uh, 
how would they how could they contact you and do you invest in ICOs? <laughs> um, rarely, <laughs> unless it's at the again at the protocol level, kind of something exciting. You know, not someone trying to come to me and say I'm building. A, not not to bash these guys, but you know, you, you get some people who are saying. We want to create a unified loyalty points program. Okay, so why do you need your own token? You know, why not? Why do <laughs> yeah, you need your... Exactly. Well, we need our own token because, you know, we want to raise the money. It's like, okay. Well, yeah, the amount of get, conversations yeah, I've I mean, had. You that, know, yeah. okay, you know, the, the bottom line is if you're trying to ICO, you can contact me anyway, but my question to you is, do the token economics make sense? If I own your token in an ideal world where your product is fully operational, if I own your token... Am I in a rush to dump that token or is there enough value in holding it for me to hold on to it? Because if the answer is I have to dump it, if there's only one use case for it, for it then the price is going to go down because everyone's going to dump it. So let me give you an example. If Uber or Karim today create their own coin and you can only use it on Karim or Uber, what's going to happen? The moment you get paid as a driver, let's say, in an Uber coin, what are you going to want to do? You're going to want to you know, cash it into in something that you can use in the real world. So what's that going to do to the price? And I think a lot of ICOs haven't thought about sort of the asset management they behind... Don't. It's just the yeah. token economics. Yeah. So yeah. does it make sense for me to own your token and hold on to it? And or is there it? only yeah. one use case? And two, are you reasonable? Do you have a good team in place? Have you looked at this as building a business and not just token, you know, selling a token? Uh, but anyone can get in touch with me, Faris, F-A-R-E-S, at wamdacapital.com, so W-A-M-D-A, capital.com. And I'm happy to meet, sit, talk to anyone, always uh, happy to, to, to discuss all of these things. I, I'm, I'm curious, as ever, to learn about what's happening in our region. Amazing, amazing Great stuff. to hear. And as ever, guys, you could contact us through our various social media channels, um, we are encrypted on both Twitter and Instagram and um, please don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast and please leave us a review on iTunes if you liked it tell a friend share it and yeah thank you very much for listening in thank thanks you guys. guys thanks so much thanks thank you for listening to this episode of Encrypted we hope you've enjoyed it we are on a mission of making blockchain an inspiring reality so we thank you for supporting us on this journey follow us on Twitter and Instagram And don't forget to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help the show a lot. Thanks for joining us.